Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. I was spending some time with the Holy Spirit today. Sometimes I spend time with Papa, sometimes with Jesus, but today it was with the Holy Spirit. And he had a he had a little bone to pick with me today. And so I was reading a little more in this book I've been reading from Lana Vosser called The New Era. And I was going along and I was liking what she was saying. Let me just tell you a couple things I read that I liked a lot. God is looking for those who will partner with the Spirit. So see, that's as far as I got. And then I thought of a scripture. So then I went over to the scripture that I thought of. Second Chronicles 16.9. It says this. The eternal watches everything that happens on the earth. So that he may strongly support those who follow him. So I went back to the book. God is looking for those who will partner with his spirit and be people of the word. Who not only know the word, but live the word and walk on the word and see and in obedience to it by faith and walk on the word. See was the next line, sorry. And walk on the word and in obedience to it by faith. So then that made me think about faith. And so she went on and read a couple, uh, made a couple more statements. I wanted to read. says, this new era is going to see the people of God take bold steps of faith and see the mountains moved. We cannot partner with the Lord and all he's going to do in this new era if we're living from the ground as a chicken. Living by the natural realm, tossed to and fro and living in fear. Those who embrace the move of his spirit and his maturing and who live in the word by faith will be like eagles soaring in the high places and living in victory. And she went on to make a few more statements that I still liked. The reason why I'm saying that is because I want to get to one that I didn't like. <laughs> See, the, the truth is, is that God speaks all kinds of things to all people in all kinds of seasons. And if you don't know what season you are in, then you will... See, we're, we're moving from just being tossed around by religious stuff to now, honestly, we can't be tossed around by something that's not in our lane, even though it's godly. That's, that's really hard for us. So let me help you tonight. When he began to speak to me, it was because she made this statement. She said that um, there's a giant of fear and fear is the opposite of faith. And when I read that line, the Holy Spirit said, no, it's not. And, you know, I love this book. And so, you know, I love, I'm not going to quit reading it. But see, the thing you have to remember about the Holy Spirit is that he leads you to things to actually um, unearth another portion of your story. And so sometimes you have to look at things from a different angle. And so that's what I did today. So he made me write this. Fear isn't the opposite of faith. Fear is a construct of the demonic resources. Faith is created by the creator. So they can't be opposite because they don't have the same creator. A better way to say it is that fear was constructed by the enemy 
to distract and destroy my story with God. It's just litter on the landscape of faith's creative works. Fear creates movement toward hiding and solitude and lack and pity and stubbornness and leaven and injustice and anger and rebellion. And I can go on. Fear is more of a manufactured counterfeit that gets used in the place of fear, of faith. Let me say it again. Fear is a manufactured counterfeit that gets used in place of faith. Faith's plan was to be used in creating something according to His will out of the nothing. Remember that when the Holy Spirit hovered, there was chaos. You know, we just kind of love that little snippet we heard from, that Chrissy heard from Robin about how that the enemy actually created the chaos on God's perfectly made earth because I love, why would God create chaos just to make it be good? The same way, why would he, um, you know, it's that sort of that, eschatology that Brian Simmons was talking about, why would God write a book at the end of the Bible all about fear? And so we kind of have to go over those sacred cows. You know, back in the 90s, I went to a conference of people who talked about what kind of lies you would have to deal with if you were in certain religions. So if you're raised in the Assemblies of God, for instance, there's there's certain lies that came with that particular denomination. If you're in the Baptist denomination, if you're in the Pentecostal holiness denomination, it was really good. This person had done a lot of research and it was really true. You know, there were actual religious entities that created a poverty structure within our spirits on the name of God, you know, I read a book back in the 90s that said the light of the denominations, the power and the light of the denominations, this was in the 90s, the light and the power of the denominations was going out. That went out in the 90s. And so God's been doing something different since then. It was called the war within. The reason why it was called the war within because that, the, the, revelation of the denominations was not orchestrated by God. The denominations by nature were created out of disagreement. I used to say it like this, they were created out of church splits. And so then, you know, we kind of congregated together. And if you weren't raised in religion, you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. But we were sort of raised in these constructive little pods that, you know, the Assemblies of God looked over at the Baptists and said, we got it and you don't, you know, and we just felt sorry for them because, you know, they were really going to hell and they didn't know it because they believed in one saved, always saved. Now, see, you missed out on all this time. Come on, any AG people can just, okay. Let's keep going on this word that he had me write today. Faith's plan was to be used in creating something out of nothing. Fear is already created by a deceiver before you got to the planet. Okay? Fear was already created. Got it? It wasn't special just for you. I know you thought it was, but it really wasn't about you at all. So if a deceiver created something, wouldn't it be used for deception? Confusion. Double-mindedness. See, you have to understand that that fear was created by the greatest deceiver to humanity. God's not deceived by him. I propose the angelic host that's with God aren't deceived by him. So we're the we're the candidates. 
Fear is constructed to be used to make you feel like you don't have enough faith. Or to blind you to the fact that the present circumstance needed altering or adjusting by God's design. So see, you arrive on a situation, God orchestrates, and you arrive there, and fear makes you think you're inadequate for the situation you've arrived to. Agreed? Go to a new job, there's somebody intimidating there, right? The constructed fear is purposeful in intent to make you believe a falsehood or a false narrative above using and utilizing your God-created, God-anointed faith to make something where nothing exists currently. You see that? They're not really opposite. Think of it like fear just has something already created and it repeats. So it just sticks it on all the situations. Just whatever the situation may be, there's this construct. Just think of a, a little house and it just gets stuck in the spot where you're supposed to create something. So then you look over and you say, well, there's something there. Looks like a house. It looks like fear. And so fear in its, its intention is an unexpected intimidation. Let me give you an example. So the other day, um, Pam and Lenny and Chrissy and I decided to get up at the crack of dawn on that really cool morning. Was it Monday morning? Tuesday morning. What morning was it? Was it Monday? We don't even know. All four of them are like, I'm not sure. We don't even know what day it is today. I think it was Monday. And we decided we'd go play pickleball at this one little court in Edmond that is actually four pickleball courts on a tennis court. And so when we got there, Christy said, well, let me pop out of the car, you know, because there's a building between us and the court, and let's just see if anybody's down there playing. We can't see it. So she got down there, and there was no one there because it was early, right? And it was cool. It was 57 degrees. So we went, proceeded to get our little net out of the car and our goodies and stuff, and Chrissy and Pam went on down there, and a little girl, about, I don't know, probably 10, came running down and got on the court. And I wasn't paying any attention because I couldn't see it because this building was in the way. So Lenny and I, you know, we were the, we were the laggers. So we were getting our water and all the chairs, you know, getting it all set up because we were going to be there a while because it was 57 degrees, right? As I walked onto the court, I realized there was this man coming, and he had his little tennis bag. Now, I don't remember the first thing he said, but the second thing he said was, you know you can make a reservation to use this court. And I, you know, I was sort of taken aback because I was like, it was an unexpected intimidation. I was going to play pickleball. So I'm skipping. It's 57 degrees. And so he began to intim- try to intimidate me. And, you know, it's hard to intimidate me, but you'll never know I'm intimidated on the outside. It's an internal work. And so I said to him, did you make a reservation? And, you know, I think at that moment, I was kind of coming out of my stupor. I hadn't eaten yet either, so I was been fasting all night, clearly. I was hangry. <laughs> but the intimidation just kept going. And so he said, no, you know, he didn't make a reservation. And then he said, you know, something about, you know, why would you play pickleball here? I don't remember he said something else, and I said... 
Well, the pickleball lines are all these orange lines. Like he acted like he didn't know we could play pickleball there, however he said it. And so then I realized I'm in this debate, and he's got two little children with him, a little bitty boy and this little girl. And so we kind of back and forth for a little bit, ended up, you know, I just said to him, you know, well, we're going to play pickleball here. And are you going to be okay to play tennis over there? And then he had to turn that around. Well, are you okay if we're over here? You know, it was just, it was one thing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But see, it was an unexpected intimidation. So I wasn't prepared. And I hadn't preached this message to myself yet. <laughs> and so for the next hour and a half, that bugged the heck out of me. There would be moments we'd be playing pickleball and I would be so consumed with what, how he was intimidating this little boy. He intimidated this little boy, I don't know if it was his son or what, to the point that the boy was crying and he was in his face saying, why are you crying? I'm like, I want to scream. You know, we're literally just across the net. I want to scream and say, because you're screaming at him. You know, it just seems like a no-brainer to me, but it just went on and on and on for an hour and a half an unexpected intimidation. And see, that moment that that fear was constructed, I forgot what my faith was for. So let me keep reading. So fear, in its original construction, tries to, to alter the reality to make faith not be used in a situation that God that was God's pre-designed intersection for me to use my faith. Fear's constructed intent is to paralyze you. In fear, wrongness, mistakes, sin, on and on and on, you name it. Whatever the situation needed that you have enough faith to move the entire mountain of it, all of a sudden, I can't remember my name. All of a sudden, I can't remember who God is. All of a sudden, this unexpected intimidation has just come onto the scene that I was unprepared for and feel ill-equipped to handle. Fierce constructed, constructed intent is to paralyze you just to change the stance and pursuit of the reason for you being in that situation at any given time. Listen, I'm giving, I'm giving you a huge leg up tonight. Because listen, we are going to be met with so much unexpected intimidations. And I'm preparing you right now. I prepared you on Sunday when I told you about the fig tree. When Jesus spoke to the fig tree, Jesus didn't go get an axe and cut it down. He didn't go tell some people in town. He didn't tell the disciples, well, look at this. He just did it. When he's in the temple and the tables are spread of men, he didn't go ask the people in charge, can I flip these dudes over? So you got to know what your faith is for in any given situation or the unexpected intimidation is going to take you out of your place in the moment. And then all you're going to be able to say is, I missed it. I missed it. This is going to happen to you tomorrow. There is already a divine pre-made situation for you to exercise faith in. Let's keep reading. The events or circumstances where faith is to be used are created for your destiny to exhibit His will. Do you hear me? The events or in circumstances where your faith needs to be used. Where does your faith need to be used? Everywhere. You don't know it, but just you driving home tonight requires faith. So the enemy in his pre-constructed specific distraction of fear 
draws your attention away from what God intends for you to see as a non-existent or lacking of whatever. There's no lack here. See, He draws you away to be this unintended distraction, right? This intimidation, whatever. So you forget, oh, well, I'm here to make something out of nothing. That's my job. So you get fixated on the circumstances that didn't turn out like you wanted instead of fixated on faith says it's time to create. Thanks for my arrival. The king is now here. And all his resources. The other thing I said was I also believe the enemy gets us so distracted looking for something that was actually birthed with fear that we end up using our faith to create what we fear. And, and here's this one example he gave me. You'll have to translate this into your examples. But just like in religion, we were taught that there's going to be the Antichrist coming. How many were taught that? Great. Mendel's like, nah. Nah. <laughs> It was a man. They made a movie about it. He was a white dude. Uh, And he was from Russia or somewhere. Okay? And see, remember, we're learning now that that word isn't actually used in the Bible as the title of a man. It's a spirit. So what the enemy has done is he made us so focused on it being a man. I mean, when I was growing up, they would be people would say like there would be a guy in the news and they'd be like, I wonder if he's the Antichrist. Bob Jr., is he the Antichrist? And so the enemy got us so focused on that, we didn't realize the Antichrist spirit is all around us. We didn't realize that it's happening in our family. It was happening in our house. The spirit of the Antichrist was anti-God, anti-faith, anti-belief, anti-anti. It's happening all around us. And all we were doing was looking for a man. We were hoping he had a red suit or something distinguishable. And so we did, it was an unexpected intimidation for years, for years. And we married it. We had children that had it. We sat with it at church. We went to work with it. We drove in the carpool with it back in the day. All the spirit of the Antichrist because I didn't see it because the enemy had so distracted me to look for another location. an unexpected intimidation we're just so distracted God told me today that face test isn't fear faith's test is obedience see when I'm using my my faith to combat fear, it will never work. That's why Jesus doesn't have the 12-step program to remove fear. He said, don't. It actually is just a matter of having either the wrong lens on or being easy dis- easily distracted by my own need. I propose it's the latter for most of us in here. My own need is so consuming that I actually use my faith to wrestle around with fear. Faith's test is obedience. And faith has to be exercised. The exercise of it, I've been talking to you about this for a long time, is actual obedience. See, I have the power and authority to say to fear to go. When I don't do that, I'm actually exercising with it. I'm actually making room for it. I'm actually 
I am choosing not to do the simple thing that God told me to do, but I'm using my faith that was meant to create something out of nothing to wrestle with it. He said, faith isn't increased by overcoming fear. Faith is increased by obedience. This is, now in the line of what I'm saying, listen to this scripture. You've heard it your whole life, probably. James 1. Be assured that the testing of your faith through experience produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace. So insert... The testing of my faith, which will come with, did I obey? Did I obey? If I obey, it produces endurance. It produces spiritual maturity. You know, the first thing I'd love for Charlie and Ippy to give their testimony, but I'm talking right now, but... um, (laughs) but, But I think they would say this. The first step that bro told him to do is to obey. Whatever Tisa tells you to do, just obey. He maybe didn't say it in those little words, but I can tell that he told, he's their mentor. I can tell he told them that because now when they call me and I say, well, won't you try this? They actually try it. I don't know what we were doing before. I thought we were on that plan. I mean, Charlie literally said to me this week on a voice memo, wow, you have so much wisdom. (laughs) Trust me, he's never said that to me before. (laughs) I didn't just get this wisdom. (laughs) May 26th. (laughs) What happened? Faith was tested by obedience. So it produced... The ability to endure. James 2 says, So too, faith, if it does not have works to back it up, then by itself it's dead. It's inoperative and it's ineffective. So so think of this. That's why God has to set up works for us to obey to. Obey. He has to set up something because faith needs that kind of exercise. Faith needs a job where there's crappy people. It needs it. It needs it to exercise my ability. Not to go up to the person. I I propose to you that if y'all would do a lot more speaking to spirits and telling them what to do and proclaiming the kingdom of God has arrived and expressing the anointing of God in places that all kinds of stuff would change. Remember, you are not wrestling with flesh and blood. No, you are. You think you are. You think it's that person that's a jerk. No, it's a place for your faith to be exercised on a jerk-filled person. Are you more focused on their jerk activity or on your ability that I would never be here if it wasn't for God and what can I do right here? The other thing he told me was faith gets rewards from the passionate pursuit of him. Listen to this verse. Without faith, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, living within us. See, that's the key word is that it's living. Listen, you don't need a lot of faith on earth to do a lot of damage. To bring down a lot of trees. To bring down a lot of mountains. You don't need a lot of faith. That's how powerful the awareness in the realization of the kind of faith that God created within you. It's your faith. It's personal. Everybody in the room was deposited a measure of faith. The measure expands through obedience. 
But it doesn't even need to expand because the tiny measure you have is enough to move a mountain. But if you're never going to utilize it on a mountain, you'll never know. We always act like we need more of something from God instead of utilizing the thing that he gave us. So without faith living within us, it would be impossible to please God. That tells me already it was already going on in me. I, tr- I promise you, you would not be sitting here and would not be this faithful if faith didn't live in you. You have the hope of something else. You don't think our destiny is to be in this room. You just don't. And so you're utilizing your faith to believe that not only will God's dream come true, but yours will too. Right? And, and the cool part about this faith of obedience, whenever I obey, it changes and alters how I see faith in me. See, that's why he says, if you're heavy, raise your hands. If you're tired, praise him. See, we want, we want to be untired, then praise him. No, see, everything in the kingdom is about something I do because it's already been done. So I believe I get saved. Right? Yeah. Right? right? So everything in the kingdom, it, it works that way. Yeah. He says, For we come to God in faith, knowing that He's real, and that He rewards the faith of those who passionately seek Him. How do we passionately seek Him? We ask Him about every situation. So you don't think that after we left the pickleball court, you know, we, there was three clerics and one mercy, I mean, one Mendel, and... <laughs> <laughs> and so we dissected me in the middle we dissected that whole day and so she was like well what are what what's happening for you there I said well I wanted to know that I handled it well because I said there was a day that we would have been having a whole different conversation because yeah. I'm choleric I've always been we would have been having a different dialogue so I wanted to know that I handled it well and so I'm going, I repeat the conversation in my head. Now I can't remember it, but that day, I mean, every little line. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I repeat it over and over and over. But see, I can end that whole thing by saying to myself or getting a friend to say, Teresa, you handled it well. Because then I told Mendel, you need to tell me I handled it well. And when she told me, I was good. We were good. That was over. Wish we'd have done that like a while back, but... I didn't know I needed that like that, right? And so then she said, well, I'm just trying (laughs) to do what a good introvert would do, which is bring everything. It wasn't heated. It wasn't even heated. She will admit it wasn't heated, but she doesn't want it to get heated. So she don't want any comments. So she's she's making comments to bring it down, which just make me mad. (laughs) Like, I don't... those, Those comments are not helpful to this situation, but they were helpful to her. We weren't having the same experience. Do you see what I'm saying? That's what happened. So then she's lobbing little bombs over into my court, and I'm like, oh, man, I've got to keep my love on right now. Because, see, that's what happens is because I could have just turned on her easy. But it was really an unexpected intimidation. And so both parties are just trying to manage it through their personality and need. My need was I needed to know it was handled well, and her need was well, this better not escalate. So see, all of that is working something out in us. Now Lynn was having a different experience. She's just, what do you want to say how you were? She said she was... Yeah, Lynn's always that way. She's always questioning, oh my gosh, did we mess up? Did we make a mistake here? Did we just arrive on the planet? We're in the wrong place. And I mean, just everything, it gets really big in her head that we have done something wrong just by getting up and arriving at this public court. What were you feeling? Is that how you felt initially? Praying over the man that done beat up his hand and beat up his father. 
Clearly, Pam's the only one that did it well, right there. <laughs> Obviously, Pam knew this message already. Okay, I think Pam was mad. I knew she was mad. It's okay. It's okay. And see, because what happened was the more we heard him say, the more we, I, it confirmed to me how this was just, this was just him. Yeah. He was talking to women, children, anybody yeah. this way. Yeah. And so, of course, the other thing that rises up with me is that I want to do something about it because it's, because yeah. injustice is happening on my watch. Yeah. Got it? So the other thing that God was talking to me about was this scripture in 1 John 5. It says, every child of God overcomes. Now this is, this is what I believe the connection for me here is understanding that this measure of faith needs to be... Um, it's its ability to stay living. Let's just say it like that. It's ability to stay living and thriving and to be used for mountain moving activities. Remember, we don't want to use it to displace fear. Our declaration displaces fear. Please, I would I beg you, you know, that to understand that God doesn't want you to live with fear. Let me read that scripture first before I go on. It's um, it's 2 Timothy 1. We all know it. For God never will give you the spirit of fear. If you look up that in the Passion, he says, that is fearing men. The fear of God prevents us from fearing others. So the, the fear of God is what? It's, it, it's an awestruck reverence of his mighty power that lives within me that's looking for a way to exercise and so it says but the holy spirit who gives you mighty power love and the holy spirit he gives you mighty power love and self-control but this and this i looked up all those words today and i wrote a new sentence it says god will never give us the pneuma the spirit is pneuma of cowardice, fearfulness, or timidity. But the dunamis, he gives us the dunamis, which is power. He gives us agape. And he gives us a sound mind. Right? And so because that's what God is giving us, then he actually, he's actually given us jurisdiction. What does jurisdiction mean? He's given you authority. And so think about that. Um, let's turn to Matthew 8. And let's look at that real quick. Matthew 8 is a story about, it says, when Jesus, verse 5, when Jesus entered the village of Capernaum, a captain in the Roman army, Roman, 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 not Jewish, Roman army approached him asking him for a miracle. He said, Lord, I have a son who is lying in my house, paralyzed and suffering terribly. Jesus said, I'll go. I'll go and heal him. Now he already came looking for a miracle. Jesus is willing to go. And he says, but the Roman officer said, oh Lord, I'm, I, who am I to have you in my house? I understand your authority. See, that is, that is the crux right now, is do you understand the authority you carry? See, without understanding the authority I carry, unexpected intimidations intimidate me. Instead of realizing I'm meant to come upon unexpected circumstances to use my authority. And how did he understand his authority? Because he was in authority and he was under authority. I propose to you, you will never walk in your authority without having both. You will never walk in your authority without knowing you have it. And you'll never walk in your authority without being under authority. It's just the reality of how authority works. Because it has to be in a bookend. 
The way authority operates is with those two bookends. I know I have it and I am under another authority that has all the room, has all the latitude in the world right there. And I love it because, you know, he went on and he said, I'm, you know, the story, right? But Jesus said this. I mean, he said this about Jesus, verse 10. Jesus was astonished. That's a cool statement, isn't it? He was astonished when he heard it because he said to everyone around him, he has greater faith than anyone I've ever encountered. And all the dude said was, I understand your authority. So what does that tell us? The understanding of what my authority is used for will impress the God of the universe. When you say, I have the authority to say to this mountain, and I know I do. You know, we were singing tonight about who we know we are. See, the point of it is, we've, fear tells us another dialogue that has never been true. And as long as we let that dialogue of fear and intimidation and it's cowardly, it's timidity, as long as we let that go, then our actions are actually based on the inner dialogue of fear more and we will be unable to obey to increase our faith. We will be unable. Because it will be intimidating. Do you agree? Yes. I got lots of other stuff to say. Let's turn to Second um, Corinthians one. You there? You're not there. Okay. Second Corinthians one. Sorry, I'm I'm just reading ahead. Let's go. Let's jump down. I've got so much to read. I'm trying not to read the whole chapter. Let's go down to um, twenty-two, shall we? Let's go. Let's do twenty-one, shall we? No, 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 no. Let's do nineteen. It says, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We, are, we all know that. And, and, and he says that he's the one that Timothy and Silas and I are preaching about. Okay, so he just want to let them know. But listen to this. He says, he has never been both yes and no. He has always been and always will be for us a resounding yes. For all of God's promises, find their fulfillment in the yes of him and as his yes as and as his yes and our amen go together so he says yes and i say so be it he says yes and i say so be it it, that ascends to god to bring him glory so here's our verse Now, it is God himself who's anointed us. This is all just stuff that you're just supposed to know. Okay, we're not trying to agree. We already agree. We're not trying to agree. We already agree. God himself has anointed us. You're anointed. If, you, if you're not going to exercise your faith, you're not even going to see the anointing show up. You're just not. You've got to exercise something for it to get smeared on. 
And he is constantly strengthening both you and us in union with him. So this is it. Verse 22. He knows we are his since he's also stamped his seal of love over our hearts and has given us the Holy Spirit like an engagement ring is given to a bride, a down payment of blessings to come. I have to read the Passion in large commentary. He says that the Greek word for this is some big word. God has sealed believers with a sevenfold seal. One is the seal of security. Listen, this is stuff you already possess. See, this is why if I don't know these things, I can't exercise this authority because I keep looking for the stuff I already have. So I have a seal of security. I'm sealed tightly and kept secure in God's love. Already done deal. I have a seal of authentication. You're marked as God's very own. Already. Don't, don't try to go get these things that actually are the package. You know, when you go buy a car, you don't go in there and say, okay, now I need you to take the engine out and make sure it has an engine, make sure it has oil in it, make sure I need to take all the brakes off and let me see the brake pads. And I don't even know what all's in a car. They don't have spark plugs anymore. What do they have? Fuel injectors. I need to know what all, I, you don't do that. It's a package. Yeah. It's a package. If you don't turn the air conditioner on, it doesn't mean it doesn't have it. It's a package. Right? So just because we don't utilize all these things, we're still equipped with them. Can you think about, I think about this a lot, how sad God is that he equipped us with so much and we only utilize 2% of it. And then we gripe and complain that nothing good's happening. And he's like, well, do you want to use any of this stuff? Like I gave you every tool, every weapon. I told you there is even a weapon form that could even hurt you. Yes. And you're acting like you're in some big battle all the time. Wow. You know, the battle occurs. Well, I'll let number Christy number share that. <laughs> number two, number three. Do you remember what you told me about that today? Okay. Number three, a seal to certify genuineness. Number four, a seal of ownership. He's got the title deed to you. The seal of approval, the seal of righteousness, and a seal denoting a promise to be fulfilled. In the Passion, it has all those scriptures. I would behoove you that if you don't believe some of this, look up all those scriptures. Right? These are things you're sealed with. Wow. You didn't. He's a yes. He's a, we're a so be it. Right? So the rest of this commentary, it says this. The mark given by the beast is upon the forehead. What's here? The mind. The mark of the beast. The enemy is trying to mark your mind with fear. That's how you know you have the mark of the beast. Now, I know y'all thought it was going to be some tattooed numbers on your head. Some credit card, I guess, on your head or something. No, you can tell someone has the mark of the beast by the way they think. What's, it's the mark of the enemy. Are you with me? I know I'm messing with some of y'all. And it's on the hand. What's the hand? What you do. How you think. And what you do. Well, how much is that of life is that? It's all of it. So when the enemy has marked you, it's because you don't know the seals that you have. So he's convinced you in your mind, and he's convinced you by what you do. See, I I can tell how much of the mark of the beast you have by what you do. How you do it. What you say when you're doing it. 
I can tell how much that he's marked your mind by how much you battle in your mind to believe who he says you are. Try to get people to meet your needs. But the seal of Jesus is over our hearts. Out of the abundance, my mouth. So I can tell by what you're saying. Whether you know you've got the seal. Maybe you need to do some seal work. I mean, if you don't know these things, I would print these seven things out and I would stick them everywhere and I'd be like, I'm righteous. I'm approved of. He owns me. I'm genuine. I'm authentic. He's given me his authentication as a son. I've got the royal scepter. I'm walking around saying, no, yes, no, yes, because I have the authority. And I have the authority because I know that I have the authority. It says, Jesus, our bridegroom, invites us to a place, to place him over our hearts like a fiery seal of love. The jealous flame of God that burns continually in our hearts. Christy's been singing the ring of fire all day. And this is the engagement ring. This is the ring of fire right here. He invites us to place Him over our hearts as Lord. The seal of fire. If you were sealed in fire, if you had a ring of fire around you right now, what do you think the enemy would do? You know, did you know that the more that you, the the more that you pre-defeat the enemy? Okay, I'm going to say it. The more that you pre-defeat the enemy. See, the battle ensues is because you're battling with a belief that he still can do something. That's why the battle ensues. You know, Shudi was asking me at dinner yesterday, and she said, well, well, you know, it seems like when we level up in maturity, we still have the same lies that happen. I said, well, you always will have them. Because before you knew the lie... God gave you a promise as a little kid. You may not remember it. But before you knew the lie of the enemy, that's how the enemy knew strategically to counterfeit it. And so God said something over your life, and he wants you to return back to the belief of it. The battle ensues is because I'm believing the secondary counterfeit to what God's promise was. And the moment you can say, I will no longer believe that lie and I will go back to the original design of my life and I will walk in it, and that is the fiery seal of His love then can completely surround you and the enemy can't get in and I will promise you, you will battle less. I do not believe that God intended in this book, she said that we will battle the rest of our lives and I, I don't believe that. I believe that the power not to battle is in your belief. And here's some things that he said. We're born of the Spirit. We're sealed with the Spirit. We're indwelt by the Spirit. We're baptized in the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit. We're made in unity and one in the Spirit. We're given gifts of the Spirit. We're giving ministries of the Spirit. He's a promise, a seal, and a guarantee of receiving our full inheritance. What have we been talking about all year? This inheritance is here for the taking. It's actually already the banquet table's already been set out. So you've got to say these things. I'm born of the Spirit. Let's say it together. I'm born of the Spirit. Sealed of the Spirit. I'm sealed with the Spirit. Indwelt by the Spirit. I'm indwelt by the Spirit. Baptized in the Spirit. I'm baptized in the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. I'm filled with the Spirit. Made one in unity with the Spirit. Made one in unity with the Spirit. Given gifts of the Spirit. Given ministries by the Spirit. That's you. So he knows we are his. Do you? He knows. The God of everything. The true God. He knows you're his. 
Do you know you're saved tonight? Do you know you've been redeemed? Are you 100 on it? Then it's time to be 100 and on all the things that the Spirit has given us. The point that you've ever even experienced the Holy Spirit is the promise that there's more. It's the engagement ring. It's the promise. Right? Right. I have one more scripture. Oh, I think. Let me see if I can find it. It's good, right? Did I read James 1? I did? Great. Okay, this was the one. I, I didn't finish it. It was 1 John 5. Every child of God overcomes. Remember, I started that while ago. This is what the, the passion says. Indicates continuous action. Continually conquers the world system. Every child of God continuously overcome. It doesn't say one day battles with it a lot. Just like today, it was just a hard day because, man, I had that leaven in there and it was just pumping up with heat and getting expanded. No, every child of God continually conquers the world system. It says, for our faith is the victorious power that triumphs over the world system. So then, who are these world conquerors? Who? Defeating its power. It's a question. Those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you see how simple God's plan is? So that means when you come up against a battle... To be a world changer, Olympic eyes, overcomer, faith walker, you just have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. See, we got our, do you see our believers trying to make it so hard and it's simple. That's why we didn't need a big old hunk of faith. We needed a little dot, a mustard seed dot of faith is enough to move any worldly mountain. So good. So good. What a great night. So as Tisa mentioned, she she shared a little bit of the word that she got this morning with me and it prompted a, a little bit of conversation and she shared the scripture on the centurion and it triggered this thought in me that um, I wanted to share and just to expand a little bit on what she said, how to on in terms of applying this. Okay. So if we know that fear is not the opposite of faith, and, and that basically we encounter a, a situation and there's this unexpected intimidation or an unexpected fear, but there's something that God has actually called us to do in that moment. We're there, we're intersecting on that scene with that person in that circumstance because God wants us to operate in our faith and do something there, right? So um, this uh, the notion of us encountering fear over and over again, I realized that sometimes I think that we get into a lot of condemnation because we encounter that fear on that scene or intimidation or whatever it is that we're, we struggle with. Right. And so we've even said from up here at the pulpit, we've said, well, if you, if you don't pass that test, don't worry, it'll come around again. You'll get another chance to do it. And I think we've taken that and turned it into another way to condemn ourselves and beat ourselves up. And so we've made it a negative to encounter the same fear again. But as the scripture that she just read in 1 John 5 says, every child of God overcomes, indicating continuous action, continually conquers. So it's not a one-time thing. It's continually, it's not continually conquering a thousand different things your whole life. The enemy only has a few tools and he knows which ones to try to use on you. But, and we will, we will, so 
changing our perspective on whether or not we're going to encounter intimidation, whether or not we're going to encounter fear. If we changed our expectation on that, we would be more prepared to respond appropriately. Because again, I, I would propose that what we're probably doing is um, we encounter fear or like the other day I got, I was feeling really angry and then I was angry that I felt angry. And so then I couldn't move past it because I was angry that I was angry. And it turned out God wanted to actually speak to me about this anger. He had a message. There was something just like her word said, there was something to, for me to operate with and connect with on that, in that uh, moment. So, um, if we changed it to seeing that we are actually going to, going to experience and re-experience that same fear over and over again, then what's the goal? If the goal isn't to battle every time, the, the problem that we, we kind of had with that word was that we aren't going to always battle fear. We will encounter fear, but I believe the difference is we're not going to battle with it. That's how you continually conquer. And then, you know, you become more than a conqueror and you become an overcomer. And so you see fear, you see what intimidation or whatever's happening and you don't, you just don't engage in the battle. And so, you know, Tisa has shared her own story many times about, you know, having uh, a fear that she wasn't a good speaker. You know, she had a speech impediment when she was young. She had people verbally say things, you know, it was kind of reinforced and she had to overcome that. Well, she still, she had to overcome that to even to see herself getting up here to share God's words. But it's not that she never hears that message again. She still hears those same words will go through her mind, but they don't even phase her. So it's a perfect example, in my opinion, of that the, the enemy still tries to use the same tools and the same tactics. So what I saw in, in the story of the centurion that I saw in a, a new way I'd never seen before kind of backs this idea up. I happen to have read um, that same story in, in Luke um, not long ago. Let's see if I can find find my verse here. So in Luke, I noticed just while I was sitting over there that it tells the story slightly differently. Just one nice thing about the different versions, um, different ways that it was told. So in Luke, it talks about Luke 7. Um, a Roman military captain there had a beloved servant whom he valued highly and who was sick to the point of death. When the captain heard that Jesus was in the city, he sent some respected Jewish elders. Notice that he sent them. He didn't go himself. He sent someone to ask on his behalf. So they, they, the Jewish elders came to Jesus and told him how wonderful the Roman captain is. And won't you please come and heal his servant basically. And so it says that Jesus started off with them, but on his way there, friends of the captain, not the captain himself, but friends, stopped him and delivered this message. Master, don't bother to come to me in person, for I'm not good enough for you to enter my home. I'm not worthy enough to even come out to meet one like you. But if you would just speak the word of healing from right where you are, I know that my servant would be healed. So he didn't go himself. He sent someone to deliver the message. And then he says, you don't even have to come yourself because he understands authority, right? He, under he didn't come himself. So he knows that Jesus doesn't have to come himself. And so he says, right where you are, from right where you are, if you would just speak the word from right where you are. I know that my servant will be healed. So it says that, again, Jesus marveled at this. He turned around and said to the crowd who had followed him, listen, everyone, never have I found among the people of God a man like this who believes so strongly in me. Jesus then spoke the healing word from a distance. And when the man's friends returned to the home, they found the servant completely healed and doing fine. So this new angle is, 
when we encounter a situation and fear or intimidation is there, we don't have to go over to it. Jesus didn't have to go in person to go personally encounter the paralysis or the sick servant, what, what the enemy was doing on the scene. Jesus didn't even have to go look at it in person. And real authority, like the cat, the, the guy knew was just speak the word from a distance. So we don't have to engage in the battle, right? Right. The battle, the guy, the enemy is going to try to get you to engage in a battle, but that's where the distraction happens. So we don't engage in the battle from, we, we keep a distance from what the enemy is trying to do. And we, and we speak the word, we speak the word operating in our authority. So I just thought that was a really incredible example in scripture of what, what she shared tonight. So Papa, we just want to say thank you. We love, love, love the way you train us, the way you demonstrate to us how powerful you made us and how you are so um, carefully training us and teaching us, molding us and shaping us to operate in our authority. You're showing us every day how to do it in a way that we come away feeling like the victor. You come, it says in scripture that you come and you, you defeat the enemy and then you give us the victory. You say that we are the victor. And so I just know that's what you're doing here tonight is training us how to be in our position. So I thank you so much for what you're doing. And I just ask Holy Spirit that you would, you would just come like fire on this word that's now been deposited. I just trust and I say in faith that this word has been deposited in each person's heart in a in very good soil. So we just say, bring your fire, Holy Spirit, onto that leaven of the kingdom that has now been deposited and make it rise up, make it rise up. Holy Spirit, I ask that you bring this word to the remembrance of each, in, to the memory of each person tomorrow when we go out, the next day when we go out and we, we intercept something that is trying to oppose us where you want us to operate in faith. So we thank you so much. Thank you for the love that you poured out over us tonight. Thank you that it's your love that empowers us, that fills us with passion and fuels us to be who you said we are and who you made us to be. We love you so much. We love you. We love you. We love you. Thank you, Warrior Team, for all you do. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com. Okay